Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Monster of a weekend to recap both in the NFL playoff world, the college hoops rankings, your Indiana Pacers, and the Colts hiring search. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day to you. Alongside Brendan King, I am Jimmy Cook. James Adams behind the ones and twos. And thank you so much for joining us here on a Monday. Pacers fall over the weekend, 130-112 to to the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, They're still repairing parts of Gamebridge Fieldhouse from the slam that John Morant put on the Sirs in that game. Across the board, though, for... The Pacers this season, we're not going to be too overtly critical of a one-game sample size, particularly when you look at the fact that no Miles Turner there, no Tyrese Halliburton as well. And then in the Colts world, something that could impact Indianapolis here in a couple of months, C.J. Stroud of Ohio State officially declaring for the NFL drafts, another potential quarterback on the board for Indianapolis. And then D'Amico Ryan's defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers has officially received a interview request submission from your Indianapolis Colts. Ryan's one of the more coveted candidates across available coordinators for head coaching jobs. This hiring process we will track that and more on the Colts as the day and as the week unfolds. BK, I know that D'Amico was an option on your list, somebody that had intrigued you in this hiring process in terms of coordinators out there the Colts might try to target I hope so because he's an absolute stud and he's the type of guy that in my mind Jimmy would bring that tenacity back to the Colts locker room because clearly at this point that's what's missing right now Um, they need somebody to come in and light a fire because all the excitement that Ursay tries to bring with the Twitter videos it's just not there Saturday did not click. If he clicked, they wouldn't have gone one and seven. Uh, Chris Ballard continues to kind of sound depressing every time he speaks, which is unfortunate because this is the guy that's making the head coaching hire. They need somebody, Jimmy, to come in and take over the room. Take over the room. And Ryan's, I've loved what I've listened from him um, when he's done press conferences, interviews. Uh, So, look, I think he's a great option, but that does bring up, the situation where if you hire a defensive-minded guy, you must, 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 must find the next star offensive coordinator. Not a Marcus Brady, no offense, not a Parks Frazier. You need to find the next guy, even though it might hurt you in a short matter of time, because if you hire a stud offensive coordinator, likely that he's going to be getting head coaching candidacy and interest down the road but for now Jimmy the head coach that you hire is going to have a direct impact on the next quarterback that you pick be it Stroud Young Levis Hooker who am I missing Richardson yeah (laughs) right whoever it is this is kind of a domino effect isn't it because the first domino now is Ballard staying does he make the right decision with the coach second domino does that coach end up clicking with the next quarterback it goes from there and that will take us to August well look in the running gag on this show and it's not even really a gag as much as it is just kind of trying to cope with a disaster that you can feel coming but you're trying to just make light of it with dark humor 
That has been the jokes on this show. Whoever's been in these seats, whether it's been Charlie Clifford or Scott Power, whether it's been me and Charlie, whether it's been you and Charlie, any of the people that have been in this room, Marlon Jackson, go through the list, has been how serious is Jeff Saturday's candidacy? And BK, you and I don't envision Jeff Saturday as the 2023 head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. I don't think that Charlie does. I don't think that anybody really envisions that's the route they're going to go. But until that pathway is closed, it's still going to be in the back of my mind. And that doesn't change the hiring process. It's just I'm trying to prepare Colts fans for what is an owner that clearly, which I don't blame him for this, appreciates the good old days, appreciates the franchise at the height of its power, and feels like that perhaps Jeff Saturday didn't get a fair shake this past season. I don't think that way. You don't think that way. He might think that way. But at the end of the day, they are still going through the interview process. They are still bringing in candidates as you expected. And I don't hate that angle because I was of the camp of you need to have an offensive-minded head coach. That's the direction you have to go. But if you bring in, regardless of age, somebody that is on the defensive side of the ball that is still able to, like you said, reset a pulse of a locker room. Yeah be a voice that doesn't sound fearful in front of the media, that doesn't sound fearful at just day-to-day activities, that sounds like, hey, I understand this is a franchise that used to pride itself on winning and hasn't been there for a while. Bear with me through these growing pains, but we're going to be something special down the line. I'm fine with that as long as, to your point, you nail the offensive coordinator hire because – You need somebody that has a proven track record of at least developing or knows how to develop either a player or a system within whatever quarterback you choose. That is the biggest goal right now for the Colts through this hiring process. And as you put it, this domino effect they are undergoing right now. You know, Jimmy, I wonder those that fly here to interview, if I was a Ryan's or another young up and coming soon to be head coach wherever it may be, I would ask about the Saturday situation because it's no secret that that Jim Ursay is enamored with Jeff Saturday and Jim Ursay wanted that to work and maybe still wants it to work. If I'm one of these young guys, you're about to commit four, five, six, seven, eight years of your life to this guy and this organization. My question is, Hey, how much is the interim head coach that went one and seven going to have an impact on me? Because if Jeff Saturday stays on as an advisor slash offensive line coach slash quality control coach and also goes back to ESPN, that'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Uh, He couldn't really go back to ESPN if he's the offensive line coach, if he's an advisor. Right. Right. That'd be kind of weird because he's commenting. He's going to have to comment in ridicule about the team, yet he's still advising Ursay. So my question, if I'm one of these candidates, would be uh, how much of what this guy says is going to have an impact on you and in turn have an impact on me? It's it's kind of like, do you ever, when you were a dating man, did you ever go on a date with somebody that was just not over their past person, X? Sure. Same thing. Right. You're, right. you're bringing in these young guys. Are you over your ex? Right. It, because if you're not, I'm getting the hell out of here, Jimmy. Right. You don't you don't need an elephant in the room that's <laughs> no, gonna get the hell out be of surprising here. you in week six <laughs> with, with, the, with a cup of coffee. Yeah. yeah, I just it's a great point. And 
for me, in general, with the way they look at coordinators and the way they look at this whole hiring process, it makes sense on two avenues. If you want to go after the hotshot offensive coordinator, the hotshot coordinator in general, that is young, that is very appealing, that is a part of these next generation of head coaches, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying the because he's he doesn't have a, a glowing resume right now. I'm not saying the Brandon Staley's of the world, though he is part of that next generation of head coaches. I'm not talking about necessarily that the Kevin O'Connell's of the world, though he is part of that next generation of coaches. And both those coaches are now out of their first round playoff matchups and out of the playoffs in general after this week. But both sides of the coin make a lot of sense to me, Brennan. And I think we both agree at the end of the day, it needs to just be a commanding voice and a true leader for whatever this franchise is next, whether it's young or whether it is the proven veteran route. That, of course, is being referred to as Sean Payton or Jim Harbaugh or any of those directions that you want to go into because Indianapolis still, for all the holes that are there, has appealing aspects to it that would entice a coach of any age to want to plant roots and be a part of this next era of Colts football. You have a young stud running back there. You have a top level in terms of, I don't know where they finished at, if it was top 10 or top 15, but you have a Colts defense that throughout the entire year was your backbone of keeping you in games. Your biggest flaw, and this is a massive flaw that we all know, is putting points together, putting scoring drives together, putting teams away. That all can be fixed in one cycle. My larger issue, and people want to say, oh, the Colts can only focus on themselves. That is true. But if you're not Chris Boward and you're one of us or you're a fan of the team, you're allowed to look at outside influencers. And the biggest outside influencer right now is what happened on Saturday night. And that is that all of our fears, we had a good half of football of laughs and all the Souths, the Jaguars, they are exactly who we told you they were all year. It's a joke division. They had no business. Oh, wait, they're playing the Chargers. And oh, wait, Trevor Lawrence has never lost a game on a Saturday. The Jaguars are in the divisional round. If you're in case you're just joining us, just joining the world for the last two days, the Jacksonville Jaguars are in the divisional round. They've won a playoff game. They are the leaders of the South, regardless of what happens going into 2023. And the scariest part about it is they have a proven head coach and they have a, I'm going to say proven now because he did it in sensational fashion and comeback fashion, a proven quarterback that's young that is only going to get better. You cannot fumble the bag regardless of what direction you go in with quarterback and, more importantly, with your next head coach because throw the Titans out the window. I don't care about Tennessee anymore right now. The bigger issue and the elephant in the room is the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are kings of the South and are a game away from the AFC Championship game. It's kind of wild that two that half of the division is trying to replicate what the Jacksonville Jaguars are doing. Yeah. Because, like you said, I... Tennessee is in a weird state of limbo because, like their coach, good coach. Oh, yeah. Has no quarterback. Derrick Henry's aging, starting to age. You're getting to that point where he's still good, still elite. We've seen the story before on running backs. He's entering that second chapter. 
Yeah, but again, I, I think he's still. Elite. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's like it's kind of like parking a Lambo in, in, in just a terrible area where there's nothing around him that that thinks makes him safe. <laughs> like the meme with the uh, the trailer park garage and the, yeah. the Lambo or whatever it is yes. in there, just sitting. Yeah, okay, I yeah, feel you. Yeah, sure, because the offensive line is not good. They don't have a quarterback. The wide receiver room is pretty average. That offense is confusing as all hell. The Colts have no quarterback. That's likely to change. Running back still young enough where he could take over a game. Offensive line stinks. Houston, Damian Pierce looks okay. No quarterback, no coach. Bad offensive line. Old Brandon Cooks, inconsistent wide receivers. So, so yeah, the Jacksonville win, which, by the way, I was watching on a on a television that was like 50 yards away from me at Cubs convention. It was a great weekend, by the way, in Chicago. I was watching with uh, Cubs pitchers Jeremiah Estrada and Ethan Roberts, the nice. guys that were with us in 2019 and then 2022. Um, great to see them. But I'm uh, watching with them, and the conversation kind of, they were asking me about the Colts. I was like, man, I, I have no answer here, right? Because uh, J- Jacksonville, uh, Jimmy, the, Jack, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I don't know if I can get over this. The Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be the preseason AFC South division favorite yes. when the lines come out after the Super Bowl. That's, uh, imagine <laughs> saying that in July. July. Couldn't do of, it. Couldn't you do couldn't. It. No, you couldn't have done it as recently as like October of this year. Because even Crazy. in October, the thought was still, this is a two-horse race in the South, and it's Tennessee and it's Indianapolis. And then as the season progressed... Even the Jaguars really didn't turn it on like fully until December. Like their run to finally piece all this together and their defense coming on strong and Christian Kirk proving, and I was one of them, everybody that laughed about that contract and the fact that they like, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, for the life of the contract, what it's going to be worth, but for an off season and a one year sample size worth every penny. It's what happens, Jimmy, when you make an aggressive move. It might blow up in your face. It might really work out. Christian Kirk, great signing in Jacksonville. The young pieces have come together. And just as you said, the head coach that is proven and knows how to win these types of games. uh, I did hear Doug Peterson's halftime interview. He was cool. There was no sense of worry in his voice. Almost like he's done something like that before (laughs) and he's had improbable wins in the playoffs with an unproven at the time quarterback I think he won a Super Bowl that way so what Jacksonville did incredible now they face your Kansas City Chiefs in the division round I thought it was really wild too to watch the Giants beat the Vikings and all jokes aside from our group message yesterday uh, (laughs) and and the Minnesota Vikings uh, is Daniel Jones now proving himself as a young quarterback. I think he is, but this is, and, and I'm going, I'm not going on a limb here, but if someone wants to call it a reach, that's fine. We talked about Eric Bieniemy as a candidate last week. And I believe Scott asked me, you know, why is he still being considered? Well, it's because he is a branch off of the Andy Reid head coaching tree. And again, a lot goes into this than just the head coach. We all know this. Fans of the game know this. People that have played know this. It's not just 
the coach that makes the organization, but it's a large part of it. Brian Dable, Doug Peterson, playoff winners this weekend. Brian Dable, Doug Peterson, branches of the Andy Reid head coaching tree. Again, you can also point to Matt Nagy. Look how it went in Chicago. He was a disciple of the Andy Reid head coaching tree. I'm not saying it always works. I'm just saying there's a long history like anybody, like 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 Parcell, like anybody you want to point at, there is always Bill Belichick. There are coaching trees where people that have studied under great minds doesn't always hit, but it can hit. And that's why I'm not saying, yay, Ra, let's go get Eric Bieniemy as the next Colts head coach necessarily, but I am saying that's why he's always going to be interviewed because they have Patrick Mahomes, of course, but also because Andy Reid and his assistants are so well-respected around the league. That's why Matt Nagy is getting another interview, this time as the offensive coordinator of the Titans, I believe. I think, uh, if I saw that correctly, over the weekend, the Titans, it's rumored that they're going to request to interview both Nagy and Biennemi as their next OCs. Hmm. So, that's Bien-Ami, my point. Biennemi would leave for another OC I don't OC think job? he would. I, don't, I wouldn't. That's, if I was him, I wouldn't. Right, but that's kind of wild that he's interviewing for an OC. And again, there, there's there's always a chance. I, that now, that, now that we're talking about it, now I'm worried. So I'm going to Google Eric Bieniemy and Matt Nagy to make sure I wasn't fooled over the weekend. I'm sorry I've given you your, no, your no, midlife it, crisis, okay. Jimmy. It, it doesn't take much. Um, but no, it doesn't take much with the Chiefs. <laughs> it doesn't take much for me to have to double check and make sure. But anyway, that, that's my larger point is that Andy Reid... He obviously has not had the same success as Bill Belichick. Why? Because nobody has had the same success as Bill Belichick as an individual head coach. You put the rings on the table, it's Belichick by a large margin. But Andy Reid has always been viewed as one of the brightest minds in the NFL, particularly on the offensive side, which is why I kind of lean towards if you're trying to sell me on somebody from his tree, I'm not against it. Mm -hmm. Particularly with the turnarounds that happened. Like, let's say you get off to a slow start like the Jags did, like the Giants kind of did at times. They didn't get off to a slow start, but they had their struggles throughout the year. You want a real leader in the room, Dable and Peterson, varying degrees of where their mountaintop has been, right? One's won a Super Bowl, one hasn't. But they're both from Reed's coaching tree. That's why I'm not against a potential enemy hire. If it was me, though, I'm giving the bag to Sean Payton and Jim Harbaugh and being done with it. But that's I think you get a real proven, proven guy in here Give him the keys, call it a day. The noise on Harbaugh, at least to me, over the last week has been a little too quiet. There there hasn't been uh, a shefty Tom Pelissero, right. Rappaport, like bombshell Harbaugh tweet in a little bit. Jeremy Fowler, by the way, was the one that tweeted about Biennemi and Nagy interviewing for Titans. Go on. It's interesting. They're, 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 the Harbaugh noise has been a little too quiet. I, I don't know if I'm reaching, but when the noise gets quiet, Jimmy, in the NFL, that's when some stuff comes through the back door. And it, it surprises you. And you get the, what is it about to be, 12.20 p.m. on a Monday crazy shefty tweet that just goes nuts. So <laughs> this could very well, the Colts have interviewed a lot of guys already. I don't know, Jimmy, exactly what the Rooney Rule perceives as, how many people you have to talk to, but I feel like, because Ursay keeps everybody so involved on Twitter, I mean, he'll tell you if he swats a fly in his office, 
let alone who he's interviewing for head coaches. At this point, I just picked up a hot dog today. Yeah, right. <laughs> no ketchup. Exactly. Uh, you're, you're getting everything. You're getting a, 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 a day by day, action by action recap from so, the from the owner. I don't know what the Rooney rule, and maybe somebody in the YouTube chat does of like what exactly you have to do. But they've talked to a lot of people. So Jimmy, now that especially with the C.J. Stroud news, I don't know if the Colts. Have their guy, if they know who they want, whether that's young Stroud. But you wonder if they were waiting on Stroud to make his announcement. Then you can hire the coach. Then you can decide what you want to do with possibly trading that number one pick from the Chicago Bears away from them. And by the way, 130, we're going to do a little NBA trade machine style with you, I'm going to give you a couple trade scenarios. You're going to tell me which ones you like, which ones you don't like. And again, Don Fisher coming up at 12.30. Pat Boylan, right? At 1 o'clock will be with us. We are, by the way, on the air until 2. Pacers and the Bucks. you're on MLK Day, so we'll squeeze in as much as possible. But, Jimmy, we call it the domino effect. It really is because C.J. Stroud declaring for the draft, that's a big deal. And probably deciding who you want to go with because – Likely, you're going to end up with one of these guys, whether they know who they want or not. This is going to happen. It does open the door further, though. And I guess it was always there, right? Because the Bears would have had pick two had the Texans not you know, gone out and beat the Colts in dramatic fashion. Remarkable still. <laughs> in week 18. But now with the Bears is pick one, and you were advocating a trade-up a couple weeks ago. Anyway, yeah. But now... But I know the Texans wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have done it. But now it assures, whether it's the Colts or somebody else, you have your pick of the litter. You have whoever you want at quarterback if you trade up to number one with the Bears. And if we agree, which I believe I, this is my feeling on it, BK, the two, not surefire, but the two 1A, 1B Mock draft projected prospects, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Let's continue the argument the Bears don't need a quarterback because I don't think they do. Justin Fields, I think, is the future. They're not going to take one. Let's say nobody trades up with them. That means Houston gets first choice. Nobody trades up with Arizona. I don't think they're going to take a quarterback. Colts are left with whoever the Texans don't take. But that is assuming nobody tries to make a trade with Chicago or with Houston. If you're in Indianapolis, at this point, when it's a divisional foe in the Houston Texans, and you can get ahead of them, if you truly believe in whoever your number one quarterback is on your board, go make a trade with Chicago. Go do it yesterday. Because we talk about all the time how you have to focus on what's in your building, and that is fine. But if you're absence and your inactivity allows the next generational quarterback to go to another division rival and you're sitting and looking at that for the next 10 years can't risk it cannot do it if you believe in young or stroud almost anything chicago asks for you make that deal happen so in my mind this is moving away from the head coaching hire and focusing solely on personnel So no matter what happens, you're going to be stuck with having to face Trevor Lawrence slash whoever the Texans pick four combined times a year. Correct. No matter what happens, whether that's Stroud, 
young. So either way, you better you better figure it out because in all accounts, all these guys are going to get an opportunity to play. If they hit, they hit. They don't, they don't. But you're going to have to be the guinea pig of these guys right. in the AFC South, right? And the point you make, Jimmy, is right on. Who has the most capital? I got a tweet the other day from someone asking verbatim, why would the Colts trade up? That's what they said. Why would the Colts trade up? Fair question. Fair question. You have the number four pick. Why would the Colts trade up? Here's why. The Colts are one of the few, maybe one of the couple teams in this league, and this is why we're going to play the little trade machine game at 130, that have the ability to make a deal. And we had David Kaplan on this show. Uh, Cliff and I did uh, my last one. And, and Cap, actually, this is from David Kaplan. Let me pull up this tweet because it is quite interesting. Anytime Cap's involved, my ears perk up. Uh, he was talking about the Chicago Bears. According to the Capman, the Colts, quote, reportedly are ready to put a deal together that would include possibly wide receiver Michael Pittman, potentially another player, and a bevy of draft picks. That right there. And whether you want Pittman here or not, that's that's kind of fill the gap here of who you let go. The Colts are one of the couple teams in this league, Jimmy, that have the ability to potentially either make a deal that's centered around draft picks or make a deal that's centered around players. A lot of the teams that could trade, be it a Seattle, Seattle's not really in a position to deal their stars because they need them and they made the playoffs and they showed that they can get there. Maybe they're a quarterback away from getting deeper into the playoffs again and the Legion of Boom returns. The Colts... Jimmy, this is a train wreck, a mess. It's not working. But the stars on the Colts, people still perceive them yes. that they can help you. Here in Indianapolis, a lot of people are starting to turn on maybe a Leonard, a, 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 a Nelson. That's not the national story. I was in Chicago all weekend. People are begging for Quentin Nelson up there. You want that contract? Be my guest, Jimmy. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. If, you, if somebody wants to take that off the Colts books, I, I welcome you with open arms and I'll, I'll throw in a pick and some icing on top as well if that's the way that things unfold. That's Brendan King. I am Jimmy Cook. It was a massive weekend in the basketball ranks as well. Indiana back in the win column, dominating the badges of Wisconsin 63-45 to on Saturday. The voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fishers, will recap it all. Look ahead to the rest of of the schedule this week for IU, which includes a trip to Illinois and hosting Michigan State on Sunday. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King here on the Fan Midday Show. Don Fisher is next. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Welcome back to The Fan Mid- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Today show, Jimmy Cook and Brendan King. James Adams spinning spinning the tunes behind the ones and twos. A lot of tunes to be played for happy Hoosier fans after Saturday's dominance of Wisconsin, 63-45, to the final there. The voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, joins us. 
Fish, nothing surprises you. Uh, obviously, you've seen all there is to see in regards to action on a basketball court or on a gridiron. But one of the reasons I love Indiana so much, one of the reasons that I'm proud to call it my alma mater is the ebbs and flows of a season and the sky is falling one minute to happiness is back the next. We got the latter of that on Saturday. Uh, what were your takeaways from a very impressive second half that involved an 18 to two run by the Hoosiers to close out the Badgers at Assembly Hall? Well, probably the thing that sticks out the most to me about that ball game was the fact that Indiana came out and matched what Wisconsin put on the floor intensity-wise, especially at the defensive end, and neither team could shoot it in the ocean in the first half, <laughs> which we all saw. But nevertheless, uh, they, they took that first half intensity and transferred it to the second half, which is critically important. And, of course, they got their offense going a little bit and went on that 18-2 to two run that basically salted the game away and, and put Indiana in the driver's seat the rest of the game. So, uh, honestly, the intensity level with which they played with uh, at both ends of the floor was really, really good. Um, and, and no question, it was the reason they won the game. Hey, Fish, it's Brendan. Intensity was a word you used when you came on with us after the Iowa game and how IU needed a dose of that. Well, the second-half defense... When's the last time this season that you saw this team play that hard of defense, especially in the second half of a game? Well, I, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it before, but probably the the ball game that sticks out in that regard would be North Carolina or the Xavier game. Either one of those two, I, I think that they also exhibited the same thing. And and the, the defensive end of the floor has, for whatever reason this year, kind of dropped off a little bit and. And it's concerning because that's that's where you can play always play hard. You could always play with intensity, and it normally will keep you in a ball game. I mean, there may be a game or two that <laughs> that you just get taken out of it because the other team is just that much better. But normally, if you play hard at the defensive end, and no team personifies this more than Rutgers, um, because it doesn't matter whether they're shooting it in or not shooting it in. They are really tough to deal with at the defensive end of the court. And this team has not done that consistently. I'm not saying they haven't done it all year, but the consistency of it has been ebbing and flowing. And there's no doubt right now they needed to get a win on Saturday to kind of change things mindset-wise for our fan base and everybody else. So it was a crucial, crucial ball game for Indiana and Mike Woodson must have done something in practices and in the locker room uh, before that ball game to get these guys to understand how important this game was. Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers. Nice enough to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline, the Motor Shop and Fishers and the motorshop.com. For all your snow blowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools, they have you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers and the motorshop.com. Fish, you can tell me if I'm crazy on this. This is me. I was not being around the team, but kind of consuming it, uh, both as a member of the media, but also as a fan. With where this team was, and it felt like during stretch of play against Iowa, against Penn State, against Northwestern, the team felt like, at least from my observations, looking for reinforcements, looked lost, looked who's going to step up. Even though you'd like to have Race Thompson back earlier, the rumor reports last week were mid-February, two to four weeks. Am I crazy to think that it's maybe helpful for this team to know that if they want to achieve the goals they want to achieve, they now know 
reinforcements aren't coming anytime soon. And by the time they do arrive, it would likely be too late if the men in that locker room don't step up and rise to the occasion like they did against Wisconsin. Well, I, I think I think that's probably the case. I, the, you know, I'm not in the locker room either. Right. Therefore, I'm not hearing those conversations right. most of the time. And obviously, I, I will query coaches and people <laughs> around the program to get a feel for what's going on. But the, the fact of the matter is, I think Race Thompson's injury, I mean, X going out was, was a big, big factor. Yep. But when you lose a second guy out of your starting mm-hmm. five, uh, and it appears that that guy's going to be out for a long time, it takes something out of you. And I, I think just from a mental perspective, especially young guys, guys that haven't been around the block, uh, so to speak, uh, for all that long and haven't had to deal with something like this, I think it takes a little bit out of you mentally. Now, that that's something that you've got to overcome, and you've got to overcome it quickly. And I can't conceive that Woodson and the staff didn't talk to these guys about that very thing. But you could see in the Iowa ball game uh, after he won out, it changed things pretty dramatically, mm-hmm. especially at the defensive end of the floor, because both X and Race are really good defensive basketball players. So, uh, you know, it may take a while to, to figure it out, but it shouldn't take quite that long. And the Northwestern game personified what I thought, along with uh, Penn State, this team wasn't figuring it out, and they didn't have a uh, – I don't want to say they didn't have a clue about what was going on, but they certainly didn't understand the the situation they were putting themselves in. Now you're one, you're two and four in the season, even with the Wisconsin win, uh, as far as Big Ten play is concerned. And let's face it, last year, two teams or three teams finished tied for first at the top with 15 and five records in the league. Well, sure, you can absorb another loss now. But do you think you're still going to win a Big Ten championship with two more losses? Right. I mean, and especially with the conference schedule that you're about to yeah. face. Um, these two games against Northwestern and, and Penn State, and Penn State has really improved, and Northwestern has too. Both these teams are much better than they were a year ago. There simply is no let up in this league, and you cannot do that. You can't do that to yourselves. Now Indiana's put themselves in a very precarious position if they hope to achieve the goal that we heard that they wanted to achieve, which was a Big Ten championship. Fish, the game that Jordan Geronimo played, double-double, 12 and 11, what impressed you most? Well, the fact that he came back um, from some just subpar performances. He hasn't played, I don't think he's played as well as he could possibly play this year. I think I don't know if it's, if it's been a playing time issue, the amount of minutes he's getting, that kind of stuff. I think players sometimes get enamored with all that and, and forget they've got a role to play, no matter what that might be. And whether they like it or not, they still have to play that role. I'm not sure that uh, Geronimo felt that way about it. I, I haven't talked to him in that regard, so I can't answer it. But I, I, do know, I do know that he just hasn't played as consistently as well as we thought he would. He came off a big end of the season last year, looked like he was dramatically improving, um, and I think he worked hard in the summer. Uh, I don't know what the reasons his year has started out the way it has, but he has not been the factor we thought he would be on a consistent basis. He has in certain games, and he certainly was on Saturday against Wisconsin, and hopefully that transfers to the rest of the year. Don, so far, particularly with the absence of Xavier Johnson and Race Thompson, there's been increased 
need for impact plays, both from Trace Jackson Davis and, of course, the the weight of the world to an extent on a freshman in Jalen Hood Shafino. You've seen plenty of freshmen across your time, Fish. Uh, another impressive performance for him against Wisconsin. Uh, what did you see out of Hood Shafino on Saturday? Well, I just think that, that I think he's trying to slow things down a little bit. Uh, you know, with freshmen, they also, you know, especially a guy as good as he is, sometimes try to do too much, right. maybe make a, a, a spectacular pass rather than the easiest one. Um, you learn. That's that's part of what he's going through this year as a kind of basketball player. Look what this what this is all about at this level. Uh, I think he had a pretty good feel for that because of the competition he faced that uh, my bird was – really good throughout the year. Um, same time, it's just different at this level. And it takes a while to translate everything that's going on out there into your brain so that you know exactly what you should be doing. But I'm telling you what, he is a big-time freshman. There's no question about that. Uh, he's a scorer. He's a, a distributor. He plays hard at the defensive end. Uh, he's still learning defense, as we know. But, but at the same time, he's taking it all in. And I think every game that you watch him, he seems to figure out a little bit more what he needs to do and how he can get it done. I'm really impressed with this kid. I think he's a real special player. Fish, in today's world of college basketball, you do not often see a team win by nearly 20 when they make one three-pointer in a game. Uh, So IU going one of eight from three, I realize they have not shot a lot of them um, over the weeks, but... If they're able to win a game like that over a ranked team by that much when they do not shoot well from outside, does that give you hope for the rest of the campaign? Well, absolutely. I mean, there's no question that heading only one three in a ball game, and they didn't take, they did take eight of them, but they they didn't hit but one. (laughs) That said, that's saying something. That's telling your team right there how important not turning the ball over and playing hard at the defensive end of the court, how important those two things really are. Um, so if that doesn't teach you something, then you're not paying attention. <laughs> and believe me, this team needs to pay attention in a big way right now. Don, always appreciate you making the time for us. Like you mentioned, the Big Ten never takes a night off. Brad Underwood on the road, then Tom Izzo coming into town on Saturday. Uh, very, very, like you mentioned, precarious and interesting stretch for the Hoosiers. Looking forward to listening along on the ride, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Fish. That's Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers via the Motor Shop and Fisher's hotline, themotorshop.com. For all your snowblowers, commercial residential mowers, plus service and power tools and so much more, they have you covered at the Motor Shop and Fisher's and themotorshop.com. We're coming to you from the drivehuber.com studio. Jimmy Cook and Brennan King here on the Fan Midday Show. BK, Fish as he often does, painted it out as blunt as possible, These next four to five games for Indiana, Illinois, Michigan State, Minnesota, and Ohio State. I'll throw Maryland in there as well. Got these next five before your first matchup with Purdue comes on the table. That at Assembly Hall. And I'm with Fish. I need to continue to see this type of, and you mentioned as well, collective energy and effort on both ends, particularly on the defensive end. And while I feel like just year after year after year. I don't need Golden State Warriors level threes, but one for eight is concerning. But to Don's point, and this is something I think that under Coach Woodson teams of Hoosier teams have continued to learn to adapt from, 
if you are ice cold from beyond the arc, everybody's still not jacking them up. They'll take them in system. They'll take them if they're open, but only eight attempts. A year ago, maybe that's 15. You know, like you, you need to, as Don mentioned, take what's available to you, take what's most effective to you. Is it going to lead you to the top of the Big Ten? You're going to get need a little bit more consistency from outside for me to feel that way. But the effort, particularly on the defensive end, is what impressed you the most. That's what my biggest takeaway was against Wisconsin as well. Well, especially with what's coming up, as you mentioned, Tom Izzo will soon be at Assembly Hall, and Tom Izzo actually hosts the number 3 Purdue Boilermakers today. That's got to be a little spooky if you're playing a day game in East Lansing. <laughs> Woo! That If you're not ready for that one, Jimmy, you are going to get blown out the door. But if there's one thing that Purdue has done well under Matt Painter, it's being ready for big ball games against the Boilers and the Spartans at 2.30. Yeah, last point I'll make before the break is you not only have to be ready for the dangerous talent that is all over the Big Ten. Imagine having, and you mentioned Brad Underwood, Tom Izzo, and then you get, you're at Minnesota, which is a bit of a sneaky game on January 25th. That's a bit of a trap game because that's between Michigan State and Ohio State. Imagine having in a matter, let's see, what is that? One, two, three, four, in a matter of less than 10 days, you have to face, you ready? Chris Holtman, Kevin Willard, and Matt Painter. <laughs> Woo! That's a Lions, Tigers, <laughs> luck, and Bears. Mike. Oh my! Good type luck, of moment. Mike. Have fun. If, if I've ever heard it. Yep. It's it, to Don's point. The Big Ten is a beast. Never take a night off and being shorthanded with injuries. There's a fine line between excuses and how you adjust from them. IU finally gets off the mat against Wisconsin. How do they respond on the road against Illinois and at home against Michigan State remains to be seen. We're gonna step away. We come back. We'll update you on the Colts head coaching search and share who one gambling site has as the favorite to be the next head coach of your Indianapolis Colts. That after the break here on the Fan Midday Show, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. It is the Pacers and the Bucks coming up at 2.30 from Milwaukee. Pacers have lost three straight. You know what? We're about to talk about gambling in a second when it comes to Colts possible head coaches. The Pacers are hanging on the hook right now. They got 23 wins. They need one more to cash it, baby. It was 23 and a half. Heading into the year, a lot of people are waiting. They have not won since beating the Hornets. That was like a week and a half ago. It's inevitable at this point. Yeah, I know. But it's in the if, bag. If 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 I I didn't bet it, but I, but if I have that bet, I'm like, all right, stop playing around. You yeah. lost three. Just do yeah, it, let's, please. Let's, Give me my money. I didn't want my. <laughs> I didn't want this investment to have to sit in there all season. Let's just get it now. Yeah. And let's let's be done with it, please. Let's let's cash it out. Get it done. All right, Colts head coaches. You can bet on anything nowadays. You can bet on who's going to be on the sideline, Jimmy. Who's it going to be? Well, per BK. the sports. Okay, club. I was going to say because yeah. if, if I knew that, yeah. Brendan, man, I'd oh, be, you'd be be making top dollars yeah. and be flying around with uh, with Jim Irsay. But Action Network had a piece on Friday that had the next head coaching odds for the Indianapolis Colts. Again, that doesn't fully take into account um, any recent interviews that have happened. But the front 
clubhouse leader, the front runner for the next head coach of the Indianapolis Colts is, thank you, Jim Harbaugh. Woo! Plus 300 odds. No violations for you, Jim. You you can get out of those. (laughs) You don't have to worry about (laughs) violations anymore unless you're tampering. Otherwise, you're fine. Uh, Second there is Eric Biennemi at plus 600. Ben Johnson, plus 650. Leslie Frazier and Dan Quinn each at plus 750. Mm. And the dark horse, perhaps? Jeff Saturday, plus 1,000. 10 bucks to bet on Jim Irsay to do Jim Irsay things. That's actually very fun. It's a great that, value. Yeah. If you're if you have that mindset and you have the tinfoil on and you think he doesn't think Jeff got a fair shake, he's going to give him another chance. If you're in that boat, plus 1,000 right there for you. I think tinfoil has been a – that's the phrase of this show. When, when oh, it's man. all said and done and we're done hosting this show together. Yep. Uh, tin foil will be the phrase that comes to. I think somebody should Photoshop uh, a piece of tin foil on top of the Colts horseshoe, <laughs> and that that should be the picture of the off season. You know, I think it should just be a banner that's covered in tin foil. <laughs> nothing, nothing else. Just maybe a spray paint of 2023 off season on there. But yeah, just a, a tin foil banner. I'm right there with you. Is Ryan's on that list? That you just had. Sorry if you closed it. No, no, I still have it. No, he was not. Which again is why I am. Oh no. Plus fifteen hundred, D'Amico Ryan is in the middle of the pack. That's not a bad so. number. That's you know what? That's a little sprinkle type number. Any other names that your heart desires? I, I can give you the juice. Uh, is Peyton even on there? Plus seventy five hundred, <laughs> all the way near the bottom. <laughs> Reggie Wayne plus nine thousand. Okay, and then Peyton Man, we are is going. Is Peyton Manning on there? Peyton, oh, sorry. Uh, oh my bad. Yeah. I miss. I, when you said Peyton, oh, sorry. I went Peyton yeah. Manning. Yeah, Peyton is on there. Sean Peyton is plus. 1800 Peyton Manning is plus 7500 okay so Peyton is actually on the list uh <laughs> Andrew Luck at plus 15,000 that's remarkable value <laughs> Philip Rivers plus 10,000 there's all kinds of just hey if they want to keep up the high school list. coach thing if they want to keep it consistent hey Phil you've been coaching high school even though I will tell you Philip Rivers post-game head coaching press conferences would be must-watch television Oh my goodness! I'd love it. Shoot, love every second shoot, of man. it, man. Shoot, gosh, yeah, I would. I would. I would be all here for it, no doubt. Uh, and according, if I'm reading this article right from the Action Network, seems like these odds, unless there's a promo that I'm missing on screen or from DraftKings. So if that is the case, then we're no longer going at Australia Sportsbook <laughs> down under dot whatever. This is legit sportsbook that is stateside. That you're looking at for odds. Um, it makes sense that Harbaugh's the front runner. I ultimately, I don't know if they go that path. I'd be fine with it just because I want somebody that has succeeded at this level in some capacity. Sean Payton and Jim Harbaugh, I love either one of them. I don't know how realistic they are, though. Couldn't imagine, like, you, you, your name is literally on a on the building. And you have a chance to, yeah, that, that's just something I don't think any of us in this studio right now, unless they put our names in the studio. Yeah, ring of honor. The, yeah, the sure. 107.5, the fan <laughs> ring of honor. Make it happen, guys. Make it happen. Hey, if you come up with the idea, I feel like you're instantly yeah, honestly, in. I might do it. I might just print out a, a banner and hang it. I don't know. Maybe nobody notices. I mean, the, the same stuff hung in here for like 17 years. Yep. So I mean, yeah, It could stay for a while, depending stay. on where you place it, for sure. <laughs> that's Jimmy Cook. I'm Brendan King. James Adams is here. It's the Pacers and the 
Bucks. That's coming up at 2.30. Again, we are hanging with you for another hour here from the drivehubler.com studio. That's when Pacers pregame will take over. Speaking of the Pacers, Pat Boylan from the Pacers Radio Network. He will join us next to talk some blue and gold as the Sirs try and break a three-game skid. That's next on The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. You know what? James Adams might be challenging. The great Eddie Garrison. He's in the parking lot for at a minimum. He's he he might be in the same gym. Eddie, you got to get back in here, man. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, Eddie Garrison, Pacers pregame coming up at two o'clock. That's how long we are hanging with you from the drivehubler.com studio. You're gonna have to see him here in about like twenty oh, minutes. Oh, I know. He's gonna be careful. Kill me. He's gonna kill me. Don't worry. Uh, one guy that won't kill me is Pat Boylan. We are always appreciative of his time from the Pacers Radio Network. Pacers and the Bucks coming up at two thirty. Pat, it's BK. Great to be with you. Pacers on a three-game skid, challenging one this afternoon in Milwaukee. Your general thoughts, my man. Well, my general thoughts have changed in the last 10 minutes. That's because Giannis Adetokounmpo, who was listed as probable going into the game, has now been ruled out. Mm. So this is obviously a major development as it relates to this afternoon's game. It's, of course, MLK Day, and this is a uh, kind of a staple on the NBA's calendar, these day games on MLK Day. So always enjoy getting to do one of these during the afternoon on a weekday, which happens almost never. Uh, but from a Pacers perspective, that's obviously a major difference maker. The Bucks have been without Chris Middleton for nearly the entirety of the year. He's their all-star guard. And Giannis uh, has missed eight games this year, and they are four and four when he doesn't play. So they're about a 500 team without him. The Pacers have lost three straight. And uh, this road trip coming up is not going to be easy, but they do catch a break here. Indiana, obviously, without Tyrese Halliburton, and we will see on Miles Turner. Uh, So it looks like each team's top player will not go today. Pat, TJ McConnell was often a a pulse of the locker room, if you will. He's very honest and and very thorough with his answers to the media. Uh, He spoke a little bit over the weekend regarding how the Pacers have adjusted or what life is going to be like without Tyrese Halliburton in the short term. Where were your takeaways for how much his absence was felt, uh, particularly against Memphis on Saturday? Yeah, it's hard to tell on just a two-game sample right. size. And there was a two-game sample size without him earlier in the year. The Pacers went one and one. Indiana has, uh, ironically, arguably, their best win of the season came without Halliburton this year. That was the win in Golden State, the Warriors, who have been arguably the best home team in the NBA this year. But, of course, you're missing Tyrese Halliburton. He's probably a top-20 player in the NBA. And when you miss a guy like that, it's a significant blow. Fortunately, the Pacers have only had to go four games without him, but they will go two weeks or about a week and four days at minimum more until he'll be reevaluated. I think one thing that helps a little bit is the fact that Andrew Nemhard and TJ McConnell are both past first point guards with good vision. So it's not like uh, to use an analogy, if you are going from, you know, a, a, a pass, immobile type quarterback to all of a sudden putting a running type quarterback in as your backup. I think the Pacers are going to, and they have been running very similar types of offenses. And I think 
stylistically, they look very, very similar. Now, when you're missing maybe the best passer in the NBA, that's obviously a big blow. A guy who scores 20 points per game, a guy who does it very efficiently. And, you know, the Memphis game, Memphis comes in winners of eight straight. They've got one of the very best records in the NBA that moved them that win into a tie for first in the West. They're rolling, and you can make a case they're the best team in the NBA. And I think it'll be interesting just to see in general how these couple of weeks go. I I can't say you look at that one game and necessarily draw any conclusions. Uh, The Pacers kind of let one slip the night before against Atlanta. But the positive there is they had a a really good opportunity to win without – both Tyrese Halliburton, and important to note, they haven't had Miles Turner, too. Um, and if you look at the games that Turner has missed in the Pacers record, that actually has been a significant indicator of Indiana's success. So um, there is hope that Miles Turner will go today. I don't believe, as of this conversation here, there has been a ruling in either direction. Missing Halliburton is obviously massive. I do think they have the type of guys behind him to keep the same style of offense going. But missing Turner shouldn't be understated either. That's the biggest component of their defense. And I I do think as, as Memphis is going on those runs, that's one area where you looked and you said, well, would it have been this dramatic without Miles Turner? Probably not. So both of those guys and their statuses will obviously be very impactful here on the Pacers in the short, medium, long term. Pat Boylan's with us on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Pat, as mentioned, I know the Memphis game kind of ended up being a wash towards the end. One of the positives, Chris Duarte with 25 points, 4-9 from 3, made all of his free throws. I know rumors are swirling in his direction, maybe from the outside, not asking about that, but, but just for as long as he's on the team and seeing the floor, how big was that performance for him? I thought it was the biggest silver lining of a really tough night on Saturday. Chris Duarte had gone through just some, I mean, there are droughts, but then what Chris Duarte was going through the last eight, nine, 10 games, I mean, he was shooting under 20% numbers way, way, way below what you would have expected. And when you start to look at, okay, if you don't have Halliburton and Turner, we'll see here, but you haven't had Turner for three straight games, where can you pick that up? Well, there's an obvious scoring load that you need to pick up. That duo combines to score about 38 points per game. Uh, But Chris Duarte, if he could get on track here, he could help soften this blow. They haven't really gotten any significant production from Duarte since he went down with that injury. He was out for over a month. Um, you know, I think it's it's realistic to expect a guy to take some time to get back into the flow of things, both physically and mentally. And so I think I think he could be a really interesting X factor, if you want to call that here, on a guy that could help soften the blow over the next couple weeks of Halliburton. If Indiana could get a b- bigger contribution and maybe something resembling what he did on Saturday night, if they could get that over the next couple of weeks or or a significantly improved Chris Duarte. That's something you haven't had lately, and it's something you probably weren't counting on having. And if you could get that, then that could help soften the blow of not having Halliburton. So I think, I think it could be really significant, and I, I think it'll be really interesting to watch how he plays these first couple of games on the road trip. Can he build off of it? Will it just be you know one strong game, or can he turn it into multiple ones? And as a lot of shooters are – Sometimes you see the ball go through the rim, you have a good game, and that can be enough to kind of switch, uh, flip that switch for you. So I think that's a significant hope here for Chris Duarte, and I think he could be somebody 
that is a difference maker if he could get his play back up to the levels of where he's been uh, when he's been healthy in his Pacers career. Pat, in that same vein, looking for areas of replicating scoring or filling in scoring, particularly over this four-game road trip that maybe not long-term, but in terms of the type of ground the Pacers either have to make up or navigate through once the four-game road trip is over where they are in the Eastern Conference standings, currently sitting at eighth. Uh, Benedict Matherin gotten a couple of starts with the Pacers shorthanded at times. I know that he, like everybody on this team, are pretty accepting of their role. So my question isn't about him starting, but it's over the fact that I believe 41 the last two games, uh, 16 in the loss against Memphis. Uh, what have you seen in that two-game sample size, and where will he need to be at his best or most efficient for this team over this four-game road trip? He's obviously had a terrific rookie season, but the last couple of games, the last few games, if you want to include uh, the next game when Tyrese Halliburton went down in the third quarter, it seemed to me like he's been very understanding of, okay, more weight is on my shoulders here. I need to do more. I need to be more aggressive. And I need you know to help carry the load here without Tyrese Halliburton. I think he's a very intuitive individual, and I think he understands that. Now, to be able to perform while understanding that is a completely different question. It's one that he's answered very positively here in these couple of games without Tyrese Halliburton. And I think, I think when you look um, at, at areas that the Pacers could bridge this gap without Tyrese as he hit this tough road trip here, we just talked about Chris Duarte. And you're in a situation where it can be tough if you have to rely on rookies. But the Pacers are a really young team. And so I think the rookies and second-year guys like Duarte will have a lot to say on, on how this couple-week stretch goes. And from Matherin's perspective, from the Pacers' perspective, I think they're going to need a top-level contribution from Benedict Matherin. And so I think it'll be a good test for him as he gets a little bit more weight on his shoulders. He's in the starting lineup. He's, you know, he goes up an option. And, and frankly, without Turner, he maybe goes up a couple of options late in game. Is he the third option now the second option, or at times when he's rolling, I think he could be the first option in late-game scenarios. How does he handle that? And then Andrew Nemhard, um, he's somebody that was just terrific in those two games earlier in the year that Halliburton missed, had a tough shooting game in uh, the game against Atlanta, and then nobody really had a great night besides Duarte against Memphis. But I think you're watching Nemhard too. This guy is as solid as they come, especially for rookies, especially for young players. So I think you're pretty confident that he's going to continue to be solid. But when the Pacers had that just almost miraculous win in Golden State uh, without Tyrese Halliburton earlier this year, it was Andrew Nemhard who stole the show. I'm not saying you need 30 and 10 out of Nemhard, but I do think if he's able to step his game up as he has more weight on his shoulders, as he's taking over the point guard role, uh, that could be really significant. I think both of the rookies, uh, the draft pick, the first two draft pick rookies, there's Kendall Brown in the mix, of course, too. But uh, I think that the top two rookies have both had excellent years so far. And I think they're going to be in situations here in the next couple weeks where they're getting a lot more opportunity, and it'll be interesting to see how they respond. Pat, clearly there are no easy games in the NBA. You already touched on Giannis being ruled out just recently today. No Chris Middleton. Kind of underrated news, Joe Ingles, who really has taken over those minutes for Middleton, had been playing really well with Giannis. He's also out, too. So the Bucs, they're going to be playing some young guys, too. So you just talked about Matherin and Nemhard having to step up in the absences that the Pacers are facing. 
could this be looked at as a decent measuring stick game just because the firepower, it seems like, on both sides are pretty similar with the young guys that will be in action? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think Turner's availability will have will go a long way in determining that. I think I think this would be the type of game where if the Pacers were healthy, if they had Halliburton, uh, if they had Miles Turner, you'd say, okay, you know what? Without Giannis here, this is still a road game against a very good team. But without Giannis and without Middleton, you never say a road game, especially for a team this young, is one that you should win. But I think if you were at full health, you'd look at this and say, hey, this is a tremendous opportunity, and good teams win games like these. And so it's a good opportunity to see if we can continue along the path of being a good team. Without Tyrese Halliburton, I just think it throws it all a little bit uh, too haywire at the moment. We haven't gotten to see enough games without him. And the thing about Tyrese that's so tough about losing him is, is Nemhard and McConnell are great passers, but the Pacers have so many guys that are either having career years or one of the best years of their career this year. And I don't mean to discredit what they are doing and their work to get there by any means, because I think that is a significant storyline. Miles Turner uh, stepping into a bigger role and being able to do so consistently. Aaron Neesmith coming from Boston and being able uh, to step his game up. I think all of, all of these individual storylines are very significant and worthy of praise with what they've been able to do themselves to get here. But part of that equation is Tyrese Halliburton. You play with arguably the best passer in the game and everybody around you gets a little bit better. And so when you don't have a guy like him, life is, I think, just a little bit tougher for everybody else. Not only do they not have him, um, but it just throws you a little bit out of rhythm. There's a chemistry dynamic to this as well. So I don't know that I'd necessarily look at this game as a measuring stick or anything like that, but I do think it's an opportunity. You don't have Tyrese Halliburton, uh, but the Bucks don't have arguably their top two players. The Pacers have never won at Pfizer Forum when the arena was built. Uh, the, the Pacers' last win came at Demo Harris, the previous arena. So I think, I think uh, you know, all cards are on the table here, and you don't really know what to expect. But if Giannis was playing without Tyrese Halliburton for Indiana, you'd go, this one is really, really tough. You're going to maybe need uh, a sort of night like you did in San Francisco against Golden State earlier this year. You look at it without Giannis, and the equation to me is very different. I should have scooped a ten and a half last night. It's it's mine. It's plus six now for the Surge. Not saying I'm not going to back them, Pat. That's not a question for you. That's just me ranting and reminiscing about sadness and and my uh, a lack of intelligence there to jump on that train last night. Um, I want to shift gears to a different pacer, one that you've been tweeting about uh, quite a bit lately because he's been in for the injured Miles Turner, Isaiah Jackson, uh, seven block shots at one point the other night, uh, joined the likes of. Miles Turner, Roy Hibbert, Jermaine O'Neal, the last Pacers to do such. Uh, how critical has he been, particularly on the defensive end, uh, in the stay of Miles Turner? Well, by the way, I just took my gambling training that the NBA sends out to just so just to be totally clear. No comment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, that's a great point. That is a great point. I don't want to get Pat in trouble. Pat didn't say anything regarding gambling. Pat doesn't use any gambling apps. Uh, I will I will sign an affidavit for you if you need me to, Pat. My apologies on you, that. You, no, no, nothing to apologize for. All tongue-in-cheek there. Isaiah Jackson is, is a guy that maybe from an opportunity standpoint uh, has benefited the most lately and benefited. It's, it's the wrong word there. But one thing that, that Rick Carlisle has referenced a few times is, there's not much good about 
injuries except for the opportunity that they can provide. And Isaiah Jackson is somebody that was down with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants because he had fallen out of the rotation a couple of weeks ago. And that's not it's not an indictment on Isaiah Jackson, but it's more of the way that I think Rick Carlisle has adjusted to feeling like the Pacers play their best, which is he's moved Jalen Smith basically from the starting power forward to the backup center. And then by default, it moves Isaiah Jackson from a backup center role into a role without minutes. And so that's the tough life of the NBA is something like that can happen and it can be nothing of your own doing to be the reason that you're losing those minutes. I think it's something that a guy like Rick Carlisle and the just respect he has from all the years, the NBA championship, he'll be a Hall of Famer. I think it's something that he's able to do and it, it not cause issues where a younger coach might have to uh, massage egos a little bit more than somebody with the pedigree of Rick Carlisle. But Isaiah Jackson basically lost his, his rotation spot because the Pacers wanted to play smaller. So Miles Turner, as, as he's been out, it's provided a terrific opportunity for Isaiah Jackson. And he's somebody that, I mean, if you just watch him, the guy has just an abundance of raw skills. I mean, he could hit his head on the rim. He's a lob threat in the way that the Pacers don't otherwise have. And so I think it's good to get him back on the floor and at least in occasional rotational minutes because he's like, he's a little bit like that baseball pitcher that throws a, a different type of pitch that nobody else on the staff has. That mm-hmm. lob threat forces defenses to think differently. But his rim protection, I think, is probably what I'm watching most closely. He's a terrific shot blocker. As you noted, he had those seven blocks uh, just a couple of days ago and was one of four pacers since 2000 to do so. And the other three are regarded as three of the better shot blockers in the NBA and will be in NBA history. So that tells you his skill set. There's no question to me about his ability to block shots. It reminds me a little bit of Miles Turner early in his career. Miles Turner right away came into the NBA as a very, very good shot blocker. But right away, he wasn't always regarded as a top rim protector. That came later. A top rim protector is somebody that when they're not blocking shots, still forces opponents to hit at a lower rate than league average when they're around the rim. And so I think right now Isaiah Jackson is a really good shot blocker, but I think he has some strides to take in his rim protection, he's also really young. He's still uh, only 20 years old. So great opportunity for him the past couple of games. We'll see what happens if and when Turner comes back, which is hopefully soon, perhaps as soon as you know an hour plus here. But in general, uh, I-, I thought he did a-, a really nice job in these last couple of games of filling in his opportunity and showing Rick Carlisle that if there is uh, foul trouble, if there are future injury problems that he's somebody that you can go to and have some confidence in pat first of all always down with the baseball analogy love that and secondly pat Pullins with us on the hotline brought to you by the mower shop and fishers and the motorshop.com also pat the month of april is a long time away but this pacers team has played good enough basketball of course to put themselves at least in a playoff position right now you know, 40-something-odd games in, 23-21. and 21. The Pacers are back in that play-in area of the Eastern Conference with Miami, Atlanta, and Chicago. Those four teams, Pat, are super intriguing to me because all of them seemingly have elite scores, at least one. Jimmy Butler, Tyrese Halliburton, Trey Young, DeMar DeRozan. But of that group, and we've seen them all, Pat, Miami, Atlanta, and Chicago, when the Pacers are firing on all cylinders, I would almost argue, again, when they have everybody available – 
there's not many teams better in that group than the Pacers when it comes to playing on the defensive side of the floor. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it has to do with just their pace of play and what they're able to do. When the Pacers get a stop, it seems to be in general, you're talking on the margins here, but in general, um, when the Pacers get a stop, it's more fruitful. So Miami, uh, they're a slower pace, grinded out type of team. The Pacers won't play defense at the level of a team that has Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, but where the Pacers uh, can compensate for that is Indiana leads is either first or second. They, they go back and forth every single night. Uh, in fact, with the Memphis Grizzlies for fast break points, points off the turnover, stats like that, the Pacers are very, very good in. And so while they're not the, you know, the early 2010s Pacers that played with a slow pace and grinded and, and really made you work every possession on the defensive end, this iteration is a team that, by the way, is still looking to improve defensively. They feel like they've got steps they can and need to take by the time uh, we're talking about games in April. But I think one thing that this group does such a good job of, and, and Tyrese Halliburton leads this charge, and then everybody else I think has been understanding of the advantage that they have in these type of situations, when the, when the ball is, is off the rim and a Pacers, gra- and a Pacers player grabs it, it is a full sprint to the other end of the floor. And I think that's in a large reason why the Pacers' offense has been as successful as it has because they haven't had to face set defenses, I think, as much as most teams in the NBA. The toughest thing to do is when you're pulling the ball out of your basket and then you have to walk the ball up the floor and the defense is set. That's the toughest defense to score against. So the Pacers say, we got the athletes to run. I mean, Benedict Matherin's a fantastic example of this. He is so good. I mean, he's already – he reminds me of – a seasoned veteran all-star when you get him in transition and that those top players in the NBA, when it's a one-on-one type of fast break, they score at the rim 90, 95% of the time. And I don't know exactly what Matherin's numbers are in those scenarios, but it just feels like whenever he's in transition, that ball's either through the rim or he's at the free throw line. And so that's, that's a huge part of their DNA. They're so young, they're so athletic and they take advantage of that, that of course, involves being healthy and having Tyrese Halliburton out there. But, you know, it, it's maybe the time you start looking at the teams around you in the playoff picture. I think it could potentially be an interesting playoff race because you've got the Pacers who, to this point, are significantly overachieving based on standards that were set outside of the building before the season. And then you've got a few teams behind them. Miami's gotten their act together. But a few teams behind them, like Chicago, Toronto, maybe Washington that are underachieving. And so you've got the Pacers overachieving with a few teams that have a lot of key names on them and big names on them, especially in Chicago and Toronto that are behind. And are they going to get, you know, their act together? Are they going to put together a run late in the season? So I think it it adds intrigue um, to some of those later playoff type positionings. I think that's something in general that the play in tournament has done. All of a sudden, the difference between being six and seven is significant. So there are more storylines and more intrigue as it relates to being six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. All those spots are pretty drastically different in terms of your chances of making the playoffs. So if you're in that mix, it makes things interesting. And the fact that we're having this conversation here in January, even off of three straight losses uh, with the Halliburton injury, I think it's obviously been a very good sign of just how successful this season has gone. Pat, last thing on my end, you kind of 
elaborated to what I was going to ask you any in regards to the the macro of where this team can go in the postseason and the standings and, and fans watching those standings, how impressive it is for this team that we are having those conversations now when the fear was was going to be another down year like a year ago. But in the in the micro of it all over this four game road trip and with the status of, of Miles Turner when he's going to return still unknown. I know that's a big caveat with Miles absence, but what would you like to see out of the Pacers starting today with the Bucks, and then, of course, the Nuggets and the Suns along with the Thunder as some nice tests that the Pacers have continued to answer those tests so far. What do you need to see from them with a potential shorthanded roster over this four-game road trip? Well, you know, if the Pacers were healthy, I might give you a number. I might say I think two and two on sure. this road trip would be really successful. I think if they went one and three and all these games were close – uh, that you wouldn't view that as maybe a positive, but it wouldn't be a bad road trip. It's just, for me, it's so tough to prognosticate yeah. without Tyrese Halliburton, and just we haven't seen enough games without him. So I think, to me, the general answer to that question will be this. Do, are these games more like uh, the one the Pacers played on Friday, or are they more like the one the Pacers played on Saturday? In a couple of hours when people are hopefully still on this station and listening to the game, are they listening to Mark Boyle calling dramatic moments in Milwaukee? Now, I'm not saying four close losses is a success. I'm not saying that at all. But I just think there is a flow and a style of the, of the game that's going to be important in judging this road trip as a whole. Um, if, if you got to two wins without Tyrese Halliburton, that is a slam dunk and you'd come home thrilled. Uh, but in general, are you playing competitive games and are you giving yourself a chance to win at the end? And if you're doing that against four pretty good teams, then I think you're going to be uh, ultimately, as long as you can pull uh, some of these out or even one of them out down the stretch, I think the quality of play will be the more significant thing to watch here. And it's, it's also just tough to judge this road trip because as we've discussed a few times, it's hard to know exactly what Milwaukee is at home without Giannis and without Middleton. Uh, the Suns are a below 500 team right now. They've dealt with some injuries, but nobody would have predicted that. On the other hand, Oklahoma City is far better than people would have expected. And I think most people had Denver being good, but the number one team in the West, I don't know. So all four of these teams, I think, are at different spots than and in some of them significantly different spots than you would have predicted at the beginning of the year. So it's tough to know where the Pacers are right now without Halliburton. And frankly, it's tough to know exactly how tough these four games are going to be with four different teams kind of in different positions than you might have expected. Pacers and the Bucks coverage at 2 o'clock coming up on the fan. 2.30 tip from Milwaukee. You will hear Pat Boylan on the pregame coverage and the broadcast with the Pacers and the Bucks here this afternoon. Appreciate the time, Pat. Gentlemen, appreciate it, as always. That is Pat Boylan on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your uh, for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. BK, Jake Cook, James Adams, taking you until 2 o'clock. Again, that's pregame for the Blue and Gold. They try and break a three-game skid. 2.30 tip from Milwaukee. Coming up next, we're going to get back to the Colts. We're going to hit on some NFL draft. We're People like to play the NBA trade machine game. We're going to play the NFL draft trade machine. Can the Pacers, can the Pacers, can the Colts trade up and make a deal with the Chicago Bears? We will get Jimmy Cook's thoughts on a couple potential NFL draft deals. That's next on The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Jimmy Cook and Brennan King here on The Fan Midday Show. Happy MLK Day to you. Pat mentioned it. That's an important date on... A lot of different calendars, but in particular, the NBA calendar, full slate of hoops on tap today, including your Indiana Pacers. Tip off at 2.30. Pre-game coverage starts at 2 o'clock right here on 93.5107.5. The Fan, Pat Boylan, Eddie Gill, Mark Boyle, Eddie White. Full slate of action, plus a Pacers game against the Bucks mixed in there as well. Not going to want to miss any of that action here on The Fan. BK kind of teased it. Going to break, but the Colts offseason train continues to chug right along. Coaching candidate rumors. Who are they going to draft? Are they going to trade up is the larger question for this segment. BK crafting some scenarios in the Brennan King trade machine, eh? Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Uh, James Adams, before we do this, can you tee up some NFL draft uh, jingle before the pick? Can we, can we tee that up before? Because I'm going to give you, Jimmy, some trade scenarios here. You're going to tell me which of the two that you would deal most or that you would like most. Now, again, if you are not familiar with the situation, again, the Chicago Bears own the number one pick in this year's NFL draft. That's because the Colts pooped the bed against the Texans in good fashion. The Texans now are further back. Do the Texans possibly have a trade up to the Colts? or to the, to the Bears, we will see. Do it. Does another team have a trade-up to the Bears? Again, per David Kaplan from ESPN Chicago, we had him on the show uh, last week. Cap does say, and again, this report might be true, it might not be true, that, according to Cap, the Colts reportedly are ready to put a deal together that would include wide receiver Michael Pittman, potentially another player, and a bevy of draft picks. Well, in these deals, Jimmy, I'm going to give you, it does not include... Michael Pittman for now. I don't know if I'd be... Of all the guys the Colts can give up, I don't know if I'd be down with that just considering that neither of us, I don't think, are Pittman number one guys, but he's the number one that you have available right now, and I'd be troubled getting rid of him considering the fact that wide receiver is the position that they have struggled with most. Yeah, I need experience, and I need weapons in that receiver room, and that's not to say that there aren't some receivers that you can grab in this class, though at least a lot of the people that we trust that scout this stuff and follow the mock drafts each and every week feel like last year's was deeper. I haven't looked at the free agency class yet, but yeah, if I could avoid getting rid of wideouts, I would not be mad about that. Particularly right if you. Paris Campbell potentially could walk this year as a free agent. Like You're going to have to plug holes Regardless of which quarterback you end up taking or which quarterback is under center. I'm right with you. All right, the commissioner is walking to the podium, James. What the trade tra- tra- <laughs> tra- scenario number one. The Chicago Bears trade the number one overall pick to the Indianapolis Colts for the package of the number four selection. DeForest Buckner. A number one pick in 2024, a second round pick, and a fifth round pick. You got that one, Jimmy? 
Give it to me one more time. I heard DeForest Buckner. I heard a first rounder in 2024. Notes, you I should have taken notes. I did not. Then, then I'm number start four now. pick. Yep. DeForest Buckner, a number one in 24, a second, and a fifth. That is option number one. A second in 2023 or a second in 2024? Doesn't matter. Okay. I, I don't think that necessarily matters. Does it to you? It, it might to me as, as general manager. A here. second in 2023. Okay, and a fifth in 2023? Fifth in 2024. All right. Okay. All right. James, number two, please. The number two scenario. The number four pick going to the Chicago Bears. Quentin Nelson. Kenny Moore. Two second round picks. And a sixth round pick. Which one would I choose? Those are your two. Do you have the notes? I do. So just to go over it one more time, and you can comment in the YouTube chat. The number four pick going back to the Bears. By the way, hi, Eddie Garrison. DeForest Buckner, their number one pick in 2024, a 2023 second, and a fifth round pick. I don't think that necessarily matters the year. Number two, the number four pick going back to the Bears Quentin Nelson, Kenny Moore, two seconds and a six. The difference between the two is that you give up another first in scenario number one. And in scenario number two, you don't give up another first, but you have to trade two players. Jimmy, the floor is yours. I would do trade number two. Even though I regret getting rid of Kenny Moore, Quentin Nelson, get the contract off the books. Clear your way with that. Be gone with it. You're getting rid of one first-round pick, which is pick four in that year's draft, correct? It's not 2024. It is pick four, so it's a pick swap there. Two Either sec- way, you're getting rid of four. That, that's right. a given. But, but is- one is two first-rounders. One is one first-rounder, correct? If I'm understanding that yes. right, the way you explain yes. it. Yeah, I will take... I'll bite the bullet on two players. Second option for me, because I'm still frustrated with the Quentin Nelson contract in general. I feel like if you build things the right way, you can find a lesser talented guard and a better contract to protect your line and protect your future quarterback more. And uh, Kenny Moore at is what it is. I'll, I'll bite the bullet there and take it. I'd rather keep DeForest Buckner if you gave me the choice between those two. So the first one, does it sway you away because of Buckner most or giving up the second first round pick? It sways me the second first round pick and the second in 2023 because I want this to be a draft that has plenty of assets to work with, particularly in the early rounds, right? So you're not gaining picks in this trade, but in the first option, you are losing both a future first rounder and you are losing a second in that same draft. I know in option two, I'm also losing a second round pick. Two seconds. Right. You're losing in, in both years, but you're not losing the first the following season. You're not fully handcuffing yourself that way. Additionally, it's really the Quentin Nelson contract that sells the whole thing for me. Had you thrown in there, oh, uh, Michael if, Pittman Jr. instead of Quentin Nelson? What if you replace Pitt with more? You have to let go of... They They say we have to have Quentin Nelson and Michael Pittman to make that number two work. Because, listen, you might be shaking your head, Eddie Garrison, 
But listen, the Chicago Bears have the grasp of the NFL in their hands for the first time, as Cap said, since 1985. This has not happened in Chicago in decades. That the Bears, the Bears can be selfish here, guys. The Bears can be selfish. Eddie's grabbing a microphone. Please go ahead. Uh, the Bears can be selfish here. They do not have to do this by any means. They can make life hell on the teams that want to trade up. So if you're the Bears, why, why if I'm Ryan Poles, would, would I take something that doesn't suit me? You can ask for an outrageous price because they're in position to do so, boys. I agree with you. They can ask the outrageous price if they want but if you're the Indianapolis Colts, I don't think there's any scenario in which you can afford to trade Michael Pittman Jr. Because you already know Paris Campbell's a free agent. Yep. We mentioned that before you got all you here have, for sure. Yeah. All you have left after that is... Yeah. Thanks for joining late, by the way. Sorry. I mean... <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, but yeah, thanks for joining <laughs> <Anyway>. late. <laughs> who day? Um, who day? I, who, I, day? <laughs> who day, boys? Eddie, Eddie fresh off of a nice trip to Cincinnati. Uh, enjoying a little Bengals playoff there. Here's what I would counter with, Brendan. Keep Nelson, that's fine. They want Michael Pittman Jr.? No. I will give you, but I'm going to need a little bit more draft capital. So maybe a fourth from or a fifth from them. Because I'm going to offer up Jonathan Taylor. Ooh. I need Ooh. I, I need draft wow. capital back, but I will give up Jonathan Taylor instead of Michael Pittman Jr. or Kenny Moore. If that's the counter. I say Kenny Moore, Bears say Michael Pittman. I say Jonathan Taylor, but I'd like some more draft capital. Because this is just how I grew up around the NFL, paying running backs, and he's going to demand, assuming he has a nice bounce-back, stay-healthy campaign, by the time his contract's ready, by the time franchise tagging is done, he's going to demand a fair amount of money on the open market. And with the way you're going to build around a future quarterback, you can't afford to have a high percentage of your cap tied up to a running back. Trade Taylor now while his value is highest. See, this is why we're even able to have this conversation because the Bears have the money. The Bears right, have a hundred right. million dollars in cap space to play with, so they can take on a Nelson contract and probably still be able to play uh, pay JT Fields and Taylor together. Would also, dude. Be really I was fun. about to say, I was about in the in a shotgun set. <laughs> yeah. You have JT and Fields, and yeah. it's a read option. Yeah. Good luck to yeah. that defensive line, brother. Yeah. I do know Chicago likes Khalil Herbert a good deal too. They, That's fair. Well, still that backfielder because I, I don't know Khalil Herbert. I don't get the sense in Chicago, at least from what I, I listen to. It's a workhorse. People, I don't think I don't get a sense that people think he's a number one. Right. Yeah. You have him as a, as a change and, of pace plus, or as a thunder lightning type. David deal. Montgomery's right. kind of yeah. in that same field of he's a free back. agent. Yeah. So whether they choose to bring him yep. back, he's already older, too. So I don't get a sense from what I listen to and the people I talk to up there that they think that Herbert is a true number one. So, I mean, if they can get their hands on JT. Now, again, this is clearly hypothetical. I, I, I Would the... Colts brass be comfortable enough to do that? Is this is this all worth Bryce Young instead of C.J. Stroud? Well, unless Jim Ursay says the green light, if it's a Chris Ballard decision, Nelson's name being on the table eliminates any conversation there. That's the option I chose to answer your question. No, I don't think Colts brass would be comfortable with it because even though I think you should be able to admit mistakes as a general manager and correct them versus just sitting in your error, that would be Chris Ballard admitting that he was wrong on the extension he gave Quentin Nelson. Hmm. So I don't, So no, I don't think they would do it for that well, reason. I, I, Just knocking stuff Jimmy, over now. Jimmy, Jimmy, this is such an emotional segment, everybody. At least the cap everybody. was on. Yeah, that's true. What happened to your like, Star Wars 
It's at home. It's dirty. Yeah. Okay. It's in the dishwasher. I was gonna say. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good. That was a good bottle. Uh, what was I gonna say? Uh, you're, I was you're, telling you that Quentin Nelson, the Colts brass, they're not oh, going to make that move. I, I, Chris Ballard doesn't have to admit anything for people to know that contract was. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. I, you you could watch pride Colts is highlights. a powerful thing, BK. W- you and I both watch, know it. Watch Colts highlights from the last <laughs> nine weeks, and you and you can yep. tell that offensive line was in bad shape. I I think it's an unbelievable conversation, and Be- it's only January, and these conversations are only going to grow and swirl particularly as the Colts continue to interview candidates. And then whenever that media availability happens for the next head coach, you get a clear direction, depending on how transparent they are, with what the next coach wants at key positions. But here's why we even bring up Buckner, Nelson, Moore, Pittman. The Colts are one of the few teams that can can include that in deals. There are not many teams around the league that would be fine giving up their star assets for their franchise quarterback because most of these teams want to pair a Bryce Young, a C.J. Stroud, with the dudes they have. If you're Seattle, you cannot afford to get rid of a D.K. Metcalf because you want that franchise quarterback to have D.K. available. If you're Indy, you're kind of starting over with this decision in a way that if Bryce Young comes here and starts off the bat, he might get his butt whooped for a little bit because he has nothing around him. Other teams aren't in that spot, which is why this is such an enticing option. The bears hold the grasp of the NFL in their hand and and we'll see where it goes. Yeah. It's all of it is thrilling for me on that front. And as we continue to track that and track the Colts head coaching search, those will be the type of rumor mill positions that continue to operate both on this show and throughout the NFL world with the playoffs still very much active and interviews still pending in that regard. We're going to take our final break. When we come back, we'll have two bets for you to close the day, perhaps some hockey bets from BK as well, and get you set for Pacers Bucks. Final predictions and more on the other side. Back in a moment on The Fan. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I didn't tell James yeah, either. No, I'm, tr- uh, I'm trying to keep okay. everybody happy. It's, it's, it's all right. The contingent of the command center rests on my shoulders. We we have to we have to do this on the fly now. James, press the index button on the hotkey screen. Uh-oh. 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 Oh, no. And then Uh-oh. go to the tab Uh-oh, that's labeled James. essentials. Right above that. There you go. Top left Uh-oh. corner. There you go. Fire away. The Jay Cook plays of the day. Professional operation here. All right. I'm not a. That's on me. That's my fault. This is how I. Should have talked about that in the break. Didn't do it. That's okay. You can go ahead and fade that down just a tiny bit for me, please. And thank you. Today's plays of the day. We're going to take the Pacers plus six as they're in Milwaukee against the Bucks. No Giannis Antetokounmpo tonight. This afternoon, I should say. Also going to take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the money line. The Tom Brady train continues for another week in Tampa Bay. Five one and one last week, including five and one on Wild Card Weekend bets. Plays on Twitter at the J Cook BK. What you got? Listen, Jimmy, if you give me Br- Tom Brady playoff points, I'm taking them. I'm buying up though. I'll take plus three. Take Tom Brady plus three. Give me one hockey bet. Revenge game tonight in Columbus. Artemi Panarin and the New York Rangers take on the Blue Jackets. Panarin, great value, most lethal goal scorer of the NHL, at least on the power plays, plus plus 198 to score. That is some good value right there. Panarin to pot one tonight. Edward. 
Oh, I don't have anything. I'm. Oh, okay. You're looking at your. I'm just looking. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the line I mean, moved on, in the Pacer game. Don't look at your sports betting app if you're not going to bring anything. He, to yeah, the table. I was just you looking. You sat down in studio <laughs> 15 minutes ago and you don't have anything for us. I just got back in Indiana, like I did too. Forty-five. By the way, I, I I got back from Cubs convention last night, like eight o'clock. Fell asleep in bed. Woke up at eleven thirty. Thought I was going to miss the show. That'd have been eleven thirty p.m. Yeah, no, I thought I was going to miss the show. Oh no, not eleven thirty this morning. I woke up at eleven thirty p.m. and I was like, uh, oh my god. <laughs> you thought and, and, it was and clock wrong for a second. And it was and it was dark out. I was like, oh, okay. I, but what I will say, I looked at the line this morning in that Pacers Bucks game. It was nine and a half in favor of Milwaukee. Now down to six and a half, as James has mentioned there, with the Greek freak out. Miles Turner questionable. Two things I want to get to before we send it to Pacers. We mentioned at the top of the show, D'Amico Ryans of the 49ers, defensive coordinator there. Colts submitted a request to interview him as their next head coach. They also put in a request to interview defensive coordinator Wink Martindale of the New York Giants. So there's two names that continue to flush out of the Rumor mill on West 56. We get closer and closer, hopefully a higher for the 21st head coach in Indianapolis Colts history. Did you see fantastic Twitter work by the Giants that they put out the Madagascar clip? No, oh, I did hell. not. The New York Giants. I missed that, New but that's York beautiful. Giants. That is beautiful. And they like, photoshopped that a New York Giants ad on the, on the what, lemur, I think? Yes, I believe so. King uh, Julian? Yep. It's one of the best. T- tip the one cap. One of the best kids' movies of all tip time. Tip the cap to social media departments across sports, but particularly after a playoff victory. Tip the cap there to the Giants for certain. That's Brendan King. I am Jimmy Cook. James Adam did a great job behind the ones and twos. Eddie Garrison joined us for a bit as well. Thanks to Pat Boylan and Don Fisher. Indiana Pacers pregame show upcoming on the other side. Pacers Bucks. Mark Boyle, Pat Boylan, Eddie Gill, Eddie White, the whole crew stay with us right here on The Fan.